Welcome to Business Matters with host Rob Capello, a podcast where we open the conversation on what matters for business. We would like to thank your sponsor, Valley First Credit Union, a member-owned financial cooperative serving the Okanagan, Similkameen, and Thompson. They offer a wide range of banking and investment services for individuals and families. Valley First also has a talented business and commercial team to provide the expertise, products, and services local businesses need to grow and thrive. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Business Matters live stream presented by Valley First, a division of First West Credit Union. My name is Nikki Check. I'm the CEO of Now Media Group. Uh, before we get started, I, I would like to give a shout out to Valley First for coming on as our title sponsor for Business Matters. Uh, with their support, we have lots of exciting sessions planned, and we're very excited to have them uh, as the title sponsor. Thank you very much to Valley First. For those of you unfamiliar with Valley First, they are a member-owned cooperative. They serve the Okanagan, Similkameen, and Thompson Valleys. They offer a wide range of banking and investment services for individuals and families, and they also have a very robust business and commercial team with expertise and products and services needed to help us local businesses grow and thrive. So for, for more information, please visit valleyfirst.com slash business. So Business Matters was um, inspired uh, during the onset of COVID as it uh, is a means to really focus on local businesses, have open dialogue uh, as to what's going on in the trenches as we all try and navigate this new way, but certainly uh, leaning into the road that we've, we've all traveled and, and taking a peek at, at what's to come. Uh, today, I'm very excited to welcome Alyssa Barr, CEO and founder of Taste Advisor. Uh, she is joining us today for mm, half hour-ish, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. It depends how talkative uh, we get. We will be streaming on uh, live on Facebook. We are streaming live on Facebook and uh, on Zoom. And for those of you that have tuned in, please feel free to ask us anything. I think we're an open book. I think uh, mm -hmm. Alyssa will, will kindly answer any uh, hard, tough question we pass over to her. Uh, so welcome, Alyssa. Thanks, Nikki. Great to be here. Uh, I, I'm hoping that you can uh, tell us what Taste Advisors is for those that don't know. Great, I'd love to do it. Yeah. So, Taste Advisor is a company that I built here in the Okanagan, and it focuses on taking the guesswork out of buying wine. And so, we are a tech company. We build a platform called the Explorer that we license to different wine regions. And for most people, what that means is you'll have a really cool app in a wine region that helps you find all the wines that are best for you and allows you to build trips and plan experiences and gives you that cumulative experience that normally is a little bit hard to uh, navigate when you come to a wine region. And so it's, um, it's really behind the scenes work. Our, our product end up, ends up looking like uh, the region itself. So here we've got the Wines of BC app, that's us powering that tool. And, uh, and so 
it's a it's pretty exciting to see it uh, come out into the market and be behind the scenes and be able to say, hey, we contributed to that and, and are making a difference. So I I I'm wondering if we can um, dissect TripAdvisor mm -hmm. a little bit through the through the lens of business. Yeah, it, for sure. It started uh, or you had the idea three mm -hmm. and a half ish years ago. Yeah, yeah, about three and a half years ago, and really in the last two years have, have taken the idea, sort of the intellectual property and put it into action. And, and, and really it came from this love for entrepreneurship. So I have owned a couple other companies prior, and I know how hard it is to run a company, as I'm sure you know, Nikki, and uh, as a serial entrepreneur. And uh, there's so much risk that's involved, and, um, and it takes a lot of um, motivation, personal motivation. And so uh, while that's true of all entrepreneurs, wineries have it like extra hard. They are both manufacturers and producers and they are um, in agriculture and then they're in hospitality. And so they have all these different domains and they're seasonal. And so I, I know that it's such a beautiful part of living here but it's also so much work. And so if I could do something that could contribute meaningfully to that, um, that industry, I felt like I'd be making this a more beautiful place to be and I'd be making it a little bit easier for those businesses. And, and so the way that we kind of looked at that was here's all the stakeholders and if you're gonna solve a problem, it's great to solve the problem for everyone as best as possible. So annoying when you get a piece of software that does one part really well and the other part like, why did this part of the whole process, why did you skip it, right? So, so we really tried to think through that whole perspective and that means we service everybody from the wine region at the government level all the way down to the subregions and the wineries and the tourism partners and the meteries and the cideries and the festivals and everybody who participates in that industry has a place in the platform and it's really flexible. And I think that's really important to driving value to each of those stakeholders along the way, so. So I think a, a, an obvious trait, you just mentioned it, uh, when I look through your profile and I search for a history about you trying to figure out who Alyssa Farr is, yeah. I, I think leaning in, contributing, helping, mm -hmm. it, it's so much a part of your DNA. Yeah. Uh, and, and I look at, at Taste Advisor in its simplest uh, statement, did it, does it, did the ideas start from you wanting to figure out what you wanted to drink or what you would like when you were somewhere? Was it that simple or was it seeing this, um, almost this gap in, um, in that particular market in this region that connected that you refer to it as the wine tourism ecosystem. And I, I, yeah that uh like in a national geographic magazine totally it is it so i would say it's actually it was the second one where it was about the business and the gap and then the first one where i had to put on the hat of the consumer and, and start to think about how do i solve the consumer problem first um but really it was because i i like solving system problems i like to contribute i definitely like to contribute on a strategic level which which is best with business to business and, uh, and so somebody actually just suggested, hey, I think you've got the right skills and, and you'd like to do something in tech, what about wine? And I was like, well, perfect. <laughs> what a great, what a great start. Uh, so I just started exploring and learning more 
about the industry. Um, I'm definitely not from a wine background and I wouldn't even say I was a wine enthusiast or an experienced wine drinker before, uh, but I, I definitely have become more of a wine connoisseur. <laughs> This is part of research. You've got to, you've got to drink it. So, um, but yeah, it's definitely from the business side. I, I find that so fascinating to me because you, you, you could have then had someone suggest a different, totally, totally different. And you could have been off to the races in a, in a different uh, sector, different vertical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really was looking for how do I, I want to contribute to an to, um, to some kind of an industry where I could make real impact using technology. And I love technology because it has the ability to be dynamic, it has the ability to be inclusive, and it has the ability to scale. And I wanted to do things that if I was going to do all this work that I could be shared with the maximum number of people in the most dynamic way. Um, because previously I'd done things in service. And so you, you can only service as many people as you have technicians or you have skilled laborers, right? And so it's a lot harder to scale an organization like that. And I definitely can't scale myself. I can't duplicate myself. So I thought if I could build something where I could take the best of ideas and I could share those ideas more easily through technology, it would be beneficial. And wine is like the perfect landscape. It's highly fragmented. So there's tons and tons of businesses and it's really hard to coordinate. And it's, it's definitely geographically driven all the right ingredients for technological advancement. And, and it's an industry that really hasn't had any technological advancement in like over a hundred years. Like as far, I mean, they, they've come a long way from an agricultural perspective, but from the tech that services the consumer to business facing side outside of e-commerce, like it, it's a, it's an untouched domain. Alyssa on the on the company, so you have this idea. You you love technology. You're you're not opposed at all to learning wine. No. <laughs> spin up an app it takes money. It takes perseverance. It mm -hmm. takes, um, trial and error. Uh, I I think one of my questions down he, down here, but I'm going to jump to it. Is I as especially you stepping into a sector or vertical that maybe you're not uh, absolutely experienced in. You're not a sommelier, so you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. How, what was the first puzzle piece you put on the table? You're, you're looking around, you know you, you know what your um, yeah. abilities are and what you can do. What's the first thing you do? Do you, do you write a business plan? Do you call a friend for help? What do you do? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think because I have the privilege of coaching other businesses as well and seeing patterns over time, I think that really helped me, but between running my own business and seeing other businesses from successes and failures, I, I had the chance to learn a lot about how I thought I should approach this. And, and definitely it started with, well, I, I don't know what I don't know. So I should start there and learn. So I just spent a bunch of time investing in uh, understanding the industry at, from, from its most preliminary, like basic level. So that was, well, what kinds of varietals are there and how do people classify all the information around wine? And uh, if you get as nerdy as you can about it, like what, what are all the elements? And then who are the participants in the industry and how do they interact? And then asking repeatedly, like what are the common problems? What are the frustrations? So it's a lot of having conversations with winemakers and winery owners and wine regions and associations and consumers and repeatedly just asking questions until I could come up with something that seemed thematic 
right? Looking, because really technology is about taking patterns that exist in the real world and then and, and then automating them in some way or another, right? And making the process better and simpler and more accessible. And so I had to find out what were those problems. And in fact, it's it's usually an advantage to not be in the industry because you ask all the questions, right? Yes, I don't know, so tell me, you know, I, I'm not making any assumptions. And, and that's actually really helpful. So the timeline for that, you spent about a year Mm-hmm. investigating you how would you um would you waltz into a winery and say hey or- yeah so the early part was like well I'm gonna go drinking <laughs> like I'm gonna go tasting some wine but just to get understand the culture and then I would ask questions and then as I got further down the line I and I could sort of see how the all the information was how much information there was to deal with then I started to do some more um, questions. And so I did some, I, I spent a summer in uh, probably three or four months of a summer with my founder at, we had just met and we started doing like consumer research. And it, so we would actually call wineries and had a series of questions and would make sure we were talking to the right person. And, and, and that's where we came up with a lot of the classic questions and problems we're trying to solve. One is, you know, at the end of the day, the business is sustainable when its product is in the hands of the right person, right? And, but with wine, the idea is it's about taste. And so you don't know why, how somebody looks or their profile, you can't profile a client to say, well, you know, Nikki's got blonde hair and those nice glasses. She must love Chardonnay. Like it doesn't work like that. (laughs) So to the winemaker, it's like, well, anybody who's over 19 is my client. And, and, you know, that's not necessarily true, but fairly, that's all I have access to. And then the other side is the consumer who says, well, I like wine. I have a hard time telling you exactly what I like, but I, I, if I boiled it down, you know, in my case, it was, I like big, bold reds. So if I, if I toured wineries in the North and they were all white wines and crisp and acidic, I was like, oh, I don't want this, but it's a great wine. I just don't like it. So mm-hmm. if I could make it where the person walking in the door was already primed to like what that person, that business had to offer, we had a more sustainable relationship there. So I want to I want to jump ahead for a minute now. So mm-hmm. fast forward, we're three and a half years ahead. We we had to prove out the model, and mm-hmm. we picked the region, the BC wine yeah. app. We have that. Um, have we have we proved out the model? Is it yes. would you as a business coach uh, rated as successful? I, I would say that it is. So on the startup scale, and I don't want to say that flatteringly, like we're still a startup, but um, on the startup scale, there's sort of, you've got to build your MVP, your basic model. So we did that under the brand Taste Advisor. We launched it to the public. We had 2,500 users. We, it was basically our pilot, right? So we had consumers, like we got a lot of feedback. We planned a new, um, a new release and we timed that where we sold our first region here in BC. And that's where we moved to the licensing model. And then we launched Wines of VC this year. So that was our first big client, uh, which is great. Best thing is that it's in our backyard, which makes me really happy. Serving my home first is like my favorite. So, uh, so we did that. And now that we knew we had a model and we could launch it and it was something someone would buy. And it's because our kind of uh, our business model is a larger enterprise sale, we don't have as many of them. So we would sell it to, you know, for example, right now I'm talking to wines of Oregon, wines of New Mexico, wines of Arizona, wines of Ontario, you know, wines of Nova Scotia. These are some of the groups. Iowa does wine. Idaho does wine. 
<laughs> I know, very interesting, huh? So all, almost all the states do mine, but um, so we're we're in conversations with some of these regions around launching a, a platform similar to this, but under their brand in that area. And so that movement from we're validated, we've got great traction and great statistics is live and it's in their hands and there's no risk means that we can kind of jump over that chasm that most you know startups fall into where they die. So we're, we're right at that place where we can jump over and be sustainable enough to actually consider ourselves a young company instead of just a startup. So we're right on the cusp of, um, of launching and expanding at that level. So, and it's fun. It's fun to be able to talk to these other regencies and come at it from the same local approach, right? Like they've got most wine is sold in the region where it's produced because it's a very geographical thing and there's a lot of rules about shipping it. And so it's so important to have something meaningful for the local to engage in because they are your number one consumer every time, right? The industry depends on the local buying from that local winery or that local business, you know, within the geography of a state or a province. And so it's great that the regions have all the same challenges and we can help them with all of them. And it's under their brand for their consumer, it's super flexible. And it's cool to actually see something that we built here be so scalable. And we intended that, but it's awesome to actually see it in practice. So, so I end up with so many questions as you're talking and I wanna be careful that I don't go down a, a rabbit hole, uh, but I, I wanna jump on that, that comment about the, um, the locals. Mm -hmm we live in a different um, uh, place right now mm -hmm. ongoing with respect to COVID. And we do see that movement around um, locals supporting locals so that, that, that our friends and people within our communities can continue to do what they love. Yeah. Has there been a different, like, can you actually feel a difference in the conversations as you, as you're talking to these other wine regions yeah yeah we weren't sure how covid i mean like everybody right this, mm -hmm. this thing is evolving in front of us and we're not really sure how it's um how it's going to land uh however it's actually been really positive for us to have important conversations right so some some industries have had to make major jumps during covid right mm -hmm. seeing their staff working from home doing everything online you know facilitating all this new a new operation um, to respond and and no more than wine regions because they predominantly rely on paper maps um, to like at, at a state or regional level right they pr produce all these maps they're really beautiful but they're static and all of a sudden when things are changing all the time you know and consumers have over over the last 10 years have seen this increase in, in curated information right Spotify gives you music and you discover weekly based on what you like. Amazon gives you, gives you recommendations based on what you like. Netflix pays attention and gives you movie recommendations. Mm -hmm. So this cons consumers are looking for someone to say, this is a good fit for you. Check that out. And that, that and dynamic information has not happened on a regional tourism level. And so this is perfect. It was, we can't run conferences. We can't run events. We can't run festivals, all of our classic tools for engaging the consumer. Um, so what are we going to do? Right. And just running social media ads doesn't give you an audience. Right. It's it's not the same thing. It's not interactive. It's not dynamic. And it doesn't promote that sort of seller door. And so our tool does that. So it's really great timing to be able to help these regions who are legitimately saying we have to think differently. We want to be innovative. 
you know, they're all emerging regions like us. So it's, it's great to have those conversations with people trying to make the jump. And, uh, and it's really cool to be able to do that, to serve regions from, you know, as small as 30 wineries in a region, because um, they're really small, all the way up to like, you know, a couple hundred, you know, so that's, that's exciting that it's dynamic enough to respond to, to both. But, but it's been really great to help them move to that digital landscape and, and see how easy it is, right? So. So the, the way that you monetize uh, the app is licensing it to the, to the wine regions. Yes. Or is there, is there a fee for downloading the app? No, there's no fee for the app. I mean, at the end of the day, the consumer is the valuable a participant in this situation, right? And so we don't want any barriers for them. So that means, you know, thousands of wines in a database is as helpful as, I don't know, like a highway. Like it's, it's not very useful to have, okay, great, well, everything's there. I still don't know what I like. So, you know, our algorithms that, that make suggestions or taste matching system, that becomes really valuable, that there's no cost is really valuable, that every winery and all of their wines and all the participants are there. It's really important for people to wanna to participate. Uh, and so we know that a wineries are working really hard. They don't have huge margins and it's best for them to have that seller door because you know, they don't spend as much um, if they go wholesale or retail. And so if we could drive traffic there, that was the best, but we know that they're all paying taxes because they produce alcohol and that tax money gets divided up to various things, but one of them is for marketing. And so we thought, well, why would I ask the winery to pay more when they're already paying taxes for marketing and the marketing initiatives could be improved and that would make the wine region look better and it would make the winery happy. And so, and of course the consumer benefits. So, um, so that's why we go to that state level first is that we try not to put the expense on the back of the winery. We try to put it where the money's already flowing and they're already set up to receive grants and you know, work with the, you know, um, Explore BC. Almost every wine region gets a certain amount of money from their state or provincial tourism group. So it was a very strategic choice to license at that level. So I like, I like, obviously, I'm, I'm, I mean, who am I? But I love the model. I love yeah. the model. I love there's no barrier to entry for the consumer, and there's actually no barrier to entry for the winery mm -hmm. uh, and their wines. So, um, how many wines do you currently have in the uh, BC wine region? We have, we have over 5,000. Okay. Right? <laughs> that up. Uh, how 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 did you go about tackling that what were the what was the the protocol of determining what the data fields were that you put in for mm -hmm. the wine that would that would help know what i like right so this is where one of my team members comes in i had done all that research to understand what happens in in wine right so understanding all the elements they measure about a wine and then how the ecosystem worked and I, I had this, this like epiphany moment. I was uh, early in sort of mapping things out. I went to watch um, Psalm 3, which is on Netflix, but it was, it's a sommelier film. And, um, and being in that as a wine, like I got to start going and watching that kind of stuff. And so I'm sitting there and at the end, they had the three top master sommeliers of the world of which there's like 40 or something, like a very limited number. And, and it, becoming a sommelier and becoming that sophisticated of a sommelier is not nothing. It's incredible skill. It's taking in all types of information in order to really, you know, understand what's happening, be able to taste something, you know, exactly where it's from. And, and really as a, 
as a pattern person, what, what's happening is I know this wine is from that area because that area has soil and like this, and then it's more acidic, you know, where it's, you know, and so really I'm like, this is just, this is an algorithm, yeah. you know, that, that's, that they paid to train themselves as these human algorithms. And I thought, well, it's not about replacing a smallie, it's about making that more accessible, right? We're not all going to become smallies. It's just not a thing. Um, it's expensive and it's it's a talent really. And so I thought if we could take those patterns, we boil it down. So one of my team members who joined on after Darson, he's a wine sensory researcher. Uh, he completed his master's here at UBC in the Okanagan. And so I said, hey, I think I could do this. So how about you help me boil down all of these elements that I've already distilled, but let's find out if we can qualify them and then I'll write the, the logic behind it. And so we did and we have accuracy of greater than 80% where we can take that sensory information, which is already measured things like acidity and body and flavors and pH and you know think sugar. These are things that the wine, wineries already measure. We didn't ask them to do anything different. We just said, well, you know what residual sugar means you know, as a winery, but I don't know. <laughs> I just wanna know, is it sweet or is it not? Because yeah. that's about all I know. So we just, we distilled it down into something meaningful and our new release now has a percent match. So you can see, oh, this is a 98% match for me or 72% or match for me. And that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's not the best for you. Hmm. So, which is different than a rating system, right? Because ratings are about, well, 5,000 people really like this wine. And you're like, well, that doesn't, it almost doesn't matter. It means it's popular, which is cool. Um, and, and it's cool to see what's popular. But at the end of the day, if you like a $5 wine from Trader Joe's, you know, or a you know $15 bottle from Save on Foods, and it you love it, who cares what everybody thought about it? Mm -hmm. Right? So. so at what point uh, during this, did you realize you absolutely had something? I was, it was like, it was November. So I had done, I participated in a couple accelerator programs and I had gotten up to present at one of the evenings about, you know, we were continually working it out. I mean, I could have, I did a year of research, but a year of research is like people kind of have information and not turn it into something meaningful. And so I remember sitting there and having a good concept, getting lots of feedback from the mentors in the room. And then, but really wanting to have like all the finances in order and all these things. And they said, you know what? No one's going to give you money until you get started. So just get started. And I was like, oh, so not my personality. Okay. <laughs> no, like, so I, I just said, well, you know what? I think we really, we've had fantastic feedback. We, we know and more, most importantly that our team is resilient, that we're capable of adapting and that we care most about um, what matters like what actually solves problems. As we say all the time, we're not precious about our own ideas. Uh, and that's actually super important in early stages or you're, you're never gonna make it because you have to pivot all the time. Mm -hmm. and, and as a team, we have no problem doing that. Like it doesn't mean it's easy, but we're not uh, adverse or resistant or prideful. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, based on those ingredients and all the work we've done and the consistent response that this solves a problem, it's worth, I try. And worst case, I have to work hard to pay off my loans. And it's one more thing in the book of experience and on I'll go. So, yeah. so the, the, 
and and I might not be saying this right. I once heard a rumor, and I don't know if it's true, uh, around Club Penguin when they were early, early startup, and the Penguin was talking, and it was supposed to automatically talk to the other players, but it it wasn't. It was like someone sitting at the keyboard supposedly <laughs> responding. To the, uh, I use that in the context of the fake it till you make it. So. Um, there, it takes money to make money, Alyssa. And, and how, how um, okay, so first off, I don't think you're, I don't think you're driven by money. I think you're driven by your ability to uh, leave a legacy, make an impact, contribute to the, to the better of whatever you've, you've spotted. Uh, but, but, it, but at the end of the day, uh, especially when we are out talking to investors and getting them to invest in, or you're sitting in that chair looking for the, the loan or the, the vehicle that's going to help you get to that next level. Uh, I mean, I guess my question is, I don't know if you had people putting their hand up going, I'd love to work for free because I love what you love. So I did. <laughs> uh, I am so grateful for that. Okay. <laughs> So how did you, at what point did you have to um, like pay to bring this, this model or this beta or this demo to life so that you could showcase it to people so that they could understand? So right off the bat, we, we had to pay for it. So it, it was, it is a significant investment into this and, and, um, and that's why it had to be built in a way that was replicable and scalable. Otherwise, we could not justify constantly having to adjust the platform for every region. Like that doesn't make sense. So that kind of um, flexibility had to be built in from the beginning. So we had to think about scaling right from the start. And um, so we had a combination. We had um, my, my core team, everybody's donated their time. Like they are committed, they're part owners, but they are, um, but, but they donate their time. And, and so when we do work, we do it because we really believe in these regions. Like when we say that, we mean it because at this point, it's not been to our benefit. <laughs> you know? Like it's been a it's been a generous gift of of belief in what's happening and how we can contribute. And then we have a development firm that we work with. They're fantastic. I wanted to hire a firm, not just a developer. Although developers are great, but if I wanted to build something scalable, I needed to have you know, all the different skill sets involved. And I needed to make sure there was quality. And, and while I have um, some training in enterprise architecture, which is the strategic design of software, I, I don't know code. And so I can't audit the quality. So I needed somebody who could do that and I was gonna have to pay for it. I was gonna pay more than I would if I just hired a developer. And because I came from the construction background, I know that you're not gonna build a great house if you just hire a drywaller and hope the whole thing gets done. Like it's not gonna happen. You have to hire the drywaller and the plumber and you the specialists, right? And then somebody to make sure it's done right. And so I needed the same thing because I was building something complex. So we had to pay them. And uh, I'm really grateful between things like, um, it's really hard to get loans as a tech company because you don't have an asset. It's not like I'm buying a truck you know, or equipment that they can hold as collateral. I, I have effectively nothing, right? It's vapor. Um, the bank can't take it and sell it to somebody in the same way. And so it is really hard. And I'm very grateful for uh, the various different banking institutions that work with me um, in order to create some joint loans. BBC has been fantastic. And, um, and then we've had support from the 
um, IRAP, which is the research council. And we've been able to um, achieve several years with them and there's Fred tax credit. So like, it is definitely like a bootstrapping version of all of these things together, plus time donated and all, you know, all along the way um, that that's allowed us to get here. And I'm, I am really grateful because now when I talk to clients and they look at licensing this, they think, they say, we could never build something, afford to build something like this. And it never, it wouldn't have been as good even if we could have. And I'm like, and that's exactly the point. We wanted to build something that you would normally not get access to, but make it accessible. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, um, I, I am so grateful for the support. Uh, I really am. And because uh, we, we wouldn't be able to do it without that, so. I love to hear your reference of your construction background because we'll mm -hmm. often look at, at different, absolutely different sectors to address the build out of a, of a technology or a challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, if we're looking at um, trying to address limited availability, we look to the airline industry. You have yeah. only so many seats on the plane. So how are they solving that? What is overbooking look yeah. like? What do you do when you can't fulfill? And and so it I I one of my questions, I wondered how much of your construction background influenced oh, um, totally. the build of this. And I think it was something you would have uh, leveraged or considered often. Oh, all the time. I do all, there's so many principles. And I mean, that, that is one of the benefits of in my business coaching experience too. I've had the chance to sit with totally different industries, always as the outsider, right? Never as the specialist. I'm a specialist at looking at things strategically. I'm not a specialist in that context, but I enjoy thinking quick and on my feet. And so I, I enjoy the, the, the alertness or the freshness of like, well, I don't know this industry, so I'm gonna to have to ask strategic questions in order to, to be meaningful right away. And, and all of that really helped me take the best of ideas in another place and put them together. And so some people are truly innovative in the sense of, um, it's like novelty, right? So they can design something from nothing, like people who make computers. Like I would never have, that's not my kind of innovation, right? I'm really good at saying, well, here are a bunch of patterns and all of these patterns can be knit together to make something more holistic um, in a different way. And that's also a form of innovation. It's just different, taking the best of ideas and putting them together. And I would say, even like when I was young, I was horrible at, at painting. Like I couldn't paint something for my life, but I was really good at collage work. I was like, take the best of this and that and put this together. And it turns out I also do that as an adult. <laughs> I love that. So with your, with your uh, business coach hat, mm -hmm. did you ever, uh, or was there a time during either your first year in your research building up or is you're beginning to, to lay out the, the technical pattern for the algorithm? Was there a time you can recall that you had to stop and coach yourself, give yourself your- Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a lot of those. In fact, I um, I always have a coach that I work with in some level because I, I need it, right? So I don't just coach every, you know, everybody else. I also have a coach because I was afraid, you know, like I believed in my idea. That wasn't the issue. It's just entrepreneurship is like a river, you know, you, you're going to jump in, it's going to take you wherever it's going to take you. 
you know, and you don't get to necessarily have control over that. It has a lot of momentum to it. And it, that's what makes it awesome. Um, but, but at first you're like, do I really want to go whitewater rafting? <laughs> and then your first couple bumps in, you're like, oh my God, somebody help me get to the shore, you know? And then you're like, Hey, I'm not so bad at this. Uh, but you know, you need that, you need that support along the way. And I, uh, I'm, I am grateful for the different coaches that I've, that I've had to support me and the mentors. Like there are some pretty great communities here mm-hmm. for entrepreneurship and for tech. And it's so awesome to hear an entrepreneurs further down the road share their thoughts while you're having, you know, coffee in the lounge, um, having intentional uh, CEO forums. And, and, and even though a lot of those things have moved digital, they're still really meaningful. And um, I, I definitely encourage if you're thinking about starting a business or you're in one and you're working a lot on, you know, in your business, but not on your business, take the time to, to connect with some kind of community because it'll just make you think about things you haven't had the time to lift your head up and think about. And, and that, that leads me right into my next question. You were involved in the OKGN uh, Angel Summit. Yeah. Where, yeah. Uh, so the Okanagan Angel Summit, you were one of the, the final six in mm-hmm. that. Can you tell us what that experience was like for you? That was a really valuable experience. Um, I, I it mean, in many ways, it was like the fourth kind of context like that that we put ourselves through in a year and a half. So it, it was a lot, uh, but it was really valuable uh, in understanding some of the language around investment. And, and really, I think the best money that they, they say all the time, the best money is customer money, right? Um, so where if, if you, a customer can say, yes, that is always your best money over investment. Um, but it's the investment community that teaches you those patterns, right? So they're watching people go through this cycle and can pay attention to things in that. So some really valuable feedback, some really valuable learning about the perspective that investors can bring, um, you know, because they've, they've gone through so many cycles. Um, and it really did help me. Like I already had really good modeling and financial modeling skills uh, and infrastructure, but it, it helped even to validate, hey, you guys, are, you really have your ducks in a row. And I had, you know, paid for the right legal advice and done all, you know, done it all. And, um, and so it was really validating to see that I was on the right track. And that's half of it. I learned you know, a handful of new things and I get validated and a handful of things I'd already done. And both of those things are really valuable. So yeah, and I enjoy public speaking. So that part of it was fun for me. That's the part most people hate, but I was like, okay. <laughs> so stage is mine. Yeah. So speaking of that, I noticed in the, in the summary about that experience, you, the question was asking what you would do with the $155,000. And your answer was... I'd well, yeah. So uh, how are you uh, marketing the uh, BC wine region app right now? Are you at, do you know what you wanted for users? And mm-hmm. uh, are you at that? Yeah, so we have, we're at really great user growth. Our, our client here is super happy because in the first month of being launched, uh, after their like full launch, they did a soft launch, but after the first month of their full launch, they doubled the number of users they had in the year prior, the whole year prior in one month. So that's fantastic engagement, especially uh, for this industry. And there's so many different engagement standards around 
depends on the type of app you have because ours is a little bit more seasonal, um, but it's more of like a monthly user app rather than a daily user, like um, maybe Spotify or Netflix would be. So a lot of my work is setting benchmarks. So I do a lot of the, what should be the benchmark? How do we, again, take this and turn it into a pattern of when it launches in a new region, we should see this kind of growth and, and adoption of users like this. And this was the average spend per user. So, you know, you want to plan for the marketing around this, not just the platform and, you know, and, um, and the different types of campaigns that work really well in coordination. And, and so I, we say we're like, um, we're a productized service. So we have the product and then our team comes alongside because that's the part of us where we like bringing our excellence and we get the benefit of seeing multiple regions. So we can say, here's some really great practices. Here's what we know is working really well. Um, and, and and bring that. And it's so great because you could give somebody tons of data and it doesn't mean they know what it, what it means or how to turn it into patterns. And that, that part I love. So I do a lot of analysis, which I like. <laughs> so how fast can you scale up another region now? So we have uh, four regions who are looking to launch this uh, work in the launch process this fall. It takes three months at least um, mm -hmm. to get a region from you know, signed and ready to launch like all the way through to their soft launch yeah. um, because it takes time to the creating the platform, like duplicating it is really easy. It's all the database setup. So we do that as part of our licensing fee because we know data quality is really important and wineries are busy. So we do all of the data collection. Everybody can log in and do their own thing. But we do the data side. And so we need time to create the hundreds of winery profiles and thousands of wines and then we also have to train the partner and then we do all the presentations to their stakeholder groups. So we got to talk to their retailer partners and to their winery partners and to their restaurant partners and make sure everybody knows what they're doing and how it works. And, and so all of that takes three months. <laughs> but that's a compliment to your pattern. You've, you've, you've mm -hmm. written the playbook, if I can. Exactly. Yeah. Region and you're just going and executing that playbook in these different yeah. regions. So I look at your plate right now. Um, Alyssa, and it's a little bit full. You have, um, and it, but I again, I think that's your your makeup. Uh, you have Taste Advisor. You're mm -hmm. an entrepreneur in residence uh, to Purple. You're the owner. I did not know this, or I must. Maybe I knew this and I forgot. Owner of Photo Booth Kelowna. Yeah. Uh, and a business coach at Unlimited Opportunities. And if I had to guess, uh, you probably still do a lot of volunteer work. So how do you juggle? How do you? Yeah, it is a lot of work to, to juggle and context shift. Um, some of the things like the photo booth is it's a really, um, it's a secondary thing for sure. It's, it's not that we treat those clients as secondary. It's that, um, it's that we had a photo booth to do events for the wine side. So we might as well leverage it for somebody else. Um, and then, but really I spend most of my time on Taste Advisor and, and on coaching. And it does, it does like I have eight coaching clients. And so that's eight different businesses and relationships right now that I work with for six months to a year. So that takes time. But I find that in the moments when I'm on one side, I am able to think differently about the other. And so they, it's actually really complimentary. I feel like I'm actually more productive by sharing the time, though it has to be managed. And I have a coach that I regularly talk to about making sure I don't overdo it. Um, and, and, and honestly, the quarantining and the limited social events has actually been really helpful because it does allow for a little more downtime and, um, and time for things to just emerge. I'm a big fan of like 
ruminating on something and then and just leaving it and all of a sudden just bubbles to the surface like I should call Idaho <laughs> you know I I'm ready now and so I I do appreciate it. but I I am I am busy but I would say I feel really balanced in that I don't feel like I'm um fatigued I don't feel like I'm overdrawn and uh, and I have some pretty clear principles to make sure that I um, protect myself and then all the other people that matter to me you know if you get burnt out at work you, you start bringing your least to those you love and I'm really protective of that so you have a history of achievement uh I think on behalf of the community, we're really lucky to have you uh, here in Kelowna. We quite enjoy all that you do. Uh, you were awarded the Millennium Excellence Award. Mm -hmm. and that's been uh, awarded to a hundred-ish. Yeah, that was a surprise. <laughs> I was like, wow, I can't believe I got that. Oh, amazing achievement. You have... Um, received or recipient of numerous scholarships. Mm -hmm. uh, recently, you were selected as one of the 40 uh, people within our community yeah. to be recognized uh, through the program with the Chamber of Commerce for top 40 under 40. Mm -hmm. Do you have your target or your eyes set on anything? Does it, does it come your way? Yeah, they came my way. Like, even that first scholarship, the university contacted me and said, we think you should apply for this because I hated applying for scholarships. <laughs> so, I was like, I'd rather work. <laughs> I don't want to write another essay. Because uh, essays are not my thing. But um, yeah, I feel like they, they come. I really, I mean, I like affirmation. No, don't get me wrong. It is nice to be affirmed when you're doing a great job or um, but mostly that's because I intend to have an impact. And so it's really nice to hear when I'm having the impact that I'm intending to have. And that impact is usually driven by making sure I know the person in front of me or the business or the industry, and that I'm attentive to them as they change. It's not my agenda. It's like, well, I could probably help. And I just need to know, you know, what's the most meaningful way to do that. And, uh, and so the affirmation is really valuable that way um and and the awards are just they're just a summary right uh, to me they're like oh it's it's so constant that other people who aren't with me all the time can see it and um like even your comment about how I, i'm not really money driven and that you can say that i'm like oh it makes me feel like you can see me like i'm consistent enough that that comes through and and that's really that's the best part of those things is like oh i am authentic uh, hopefully <laughs> so. you are uh will taste advisor fulfill you for the foreseeable future or um is your next big thing i don't know i mean taste advisor is my my forefront we say like as a team all the time we're like we would love to do this for the next you know 10 years um, and part of that is because we take a lot of pride in our work. So I didn't build something to sell it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, and it's built with quality that someone could buy it, but not with the goal of like, oh, I'm just going to get this started and get somebody hooked in and, and spin it off to them. I think there are organizations um, that we could sell to where it would be really beneficial inside of their organization. But 
right now, like, we're like, we don't want to sell yet. We want to see all those regions have the benefit first. And uh, it's kind of like harvesting your work, right? So, yeah. and, and you're not just staying in the wine vertical. You're looking at stepping into beer. Beer, yeah, exactly. We started on our beer algorithm. We get asked about that all the time. And so within this, like, you know, fermented beverages category, we can, there's lots of work for us to do. And we have the potential to integrate with them um, with bigger retailers. So we are having conversation with some of the liquor boards, right? And, uh, or like Total Wine and more. These are groups that we would love to have as clients where they've got thousands of products. It's still the same problem of, you know, how do we help consumers find what they love? And so there's so much great work we feel like we can do and we can build a, a really sustainable um, and beneficial business along the way. And then, you know, eventually I'm sure we'll, we'll look to exit to an organization who can take it to the next level you know, better than we could. And, and I feel like that happens in every company, whether you sell or not, you, you bring in skill as you go along to, to, to adapt to the growth. And, um, but I think, I think our team has the skills for the next uh, at least five to 10 years that, that we can make the difference. So you had mentioned benchmarking uh, a mm -hmm. few months ago. Is there anyone in this sector or in this space uh globally that that is doing what you're doing or or are you uh so, so we have competitors but they're what we would say uh, truly are indirect competitors so there's yeah. there uh, i mean anybody who tells you we have no competition there's no one like us has not done their competitive research uh because there's always somebody money's being spent somewhere um, it's so, you know, we're in the marketing space for all intents and purposes. People think of us as a marketing budget line. Um, and so Facebook and Instagram and, you know, they do fantastic job as an ad space, um, but they're not tailored to this, this sector. So I would say we're the only, we are the only group that has shown up, um, in all the regions we've talked to, to, to bring a product like this to the table. Um, but we're still competing against print money you know, to print paper maps. Um, we've got groups who actually had, um, what is their name here? They do, oh, I can't think of them all of a sudden. They do a great job, but they do the discounts on the, the coupon cards, the digital ones, but it's not Groupon. Anyways, I can't think, sorry, that's really bad. But, um, but they, anyways, they do a great job. They're actually local to here and they've been scaling across Canada. So some of our clients have been like, you know, do we, it would be a comparable service as far as where you could put marketing money, but obviously a very different outcome because we're so tailored. So, um, and we like to know where people are spending their money and to celebrate the successes of, you know, it's, it's not to knock something. Those services are really good in certain contexts. And so it's just the strategic combination of your marketing spend that makes the difference, so. So Alyssa, I, I love entrepreneurish, uh, entrepreneurship. It, it's not for everybody. No, not everyone can, can weather uh, being an entrepreneur. It, it's, it can be challenging. Mm -hmm. uh, is there advice that you would uh, give to someone that is, that is sitting on an idea or would love to take that leap of faith? Mm -hmm. uh, is there something... Uh, or a group of, of recommendations that are non-negotiable, a must? I would probably break it into three areas to make a very Venn diagram mm -hmm. out of it. So one would be, you know, you've got to look at the personal, uh, the support, 
and then the business model because you kind of need you need all of those things to, to make a business work from my perspective and so one is you have to know yourself right what are your limitations you know how much work and stress can you handle and then you really need to make sure that this does line up with what you're capable of and and, um, and so like I plan lots of breaks because I know that I I'm a marathoner so I go really hard and then I need to rest just as long and that's just my rhythm, but I know that. And so I plan for that and I, I have a business that allows for that. Um, and then, you know, what kind of support do you need? The idea that you would need support, it, like it's not a great start. So finding out the support you can receive and what's worth paying and investing in, that's really important. And then the other part is the, the business model, really. So taking the time to go through and vetting it past your customers, vetting it past mentors. And if your idea is one that says, I think you need this and that person doesn't agree, you shouldn't do it. <laughs> like, There's a lot of early entrepreneurs who are like, I have a great idea. You see it on Dragon's Den all the time, right? These pots and pans and like everybody needs them. And they're like, no, nobody needs them. And, and they just, they just so clung to this idea that it works and it really needs to be about the people, but you got to run the model. You know, does it make sense? Can it scale? What What are the different ways that you can price it? Are your financials there? You have to do those mm -hmm. those administrative skills. Um, you're going to need to do it to get funding or investment, but you um, but you're it's good practice and it can be rough. It doesn't have to be you know well designed or anything. It just needs to be there. But those three things together are like they're an important part of that sort of entrepreneurial startup kit. So. Alyssa, I've enjoyed every minute and I have so many more questions. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to share your, your journey so far. And we, uh, we look forward to getting this recorded and published out on, on all our channels. And um, thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation, Nikki. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Alyssa. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Matters with host Rob Capello. If you're interested in being on the show, reach out to us and join the conversation.